0: off your device. That's soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another awesome episode. Today, my guest is Charlie Gray, and he is the author of At Least I'm Not the Frog, a zany memoir of alcoholism and recovery. I had such a fun time interviewing Charlie. What a great spirit. He was really awesome. We had some technical difficulties recording the first time and he was willing to come back and do it a second time and go again. So it was really awesome. Charlie is going to talk about his journey through alcoholism and addiction and recovery and getting recovery and how he moved through that process it was really fun talking with Charlie and just love his passion to help others and get the message out there of hope and resiliency so let's go ahead and start this episode Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Addicted Mind. Charlie, thank you so much for coming back on. We had a few technical issues, but now we're back in the game. Yes. Hello. I'm glad we got it figured out, Dwayne. Definitely. Definitely. So we're going to talk about a little bit about your journey and a little bit about your memoir. At least I'm Not a Frog, a zany memoir of alcoholism and recovery and your blog and your whole story.
1: Yeah, perfect. Very good. Where would you like to start?
0: <laughs> well, I guess let's start at the beginning. Let's just go in and talk a little bit about how this all started.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'll just give you a brief like precursor of my teenage years because I believe that's where all the the conflict and damage within me began and kind of helps us see why my 20s were the way that they were. So when I was 13, my mother passed away very suddenly. Uh, It started out as an aneurysm and then progressed to a stroke in the matter of three days. And I was not prepared. You know, I hadn't experienced death on any level. And then to have it be so quick and my mother, it it really shaped and molded me in a way that I wasn't able to see as a 13-year-old boy, you know. So I spoke about um, a couple days ago with another lady, how I, you know, I walked in on that last stroke that my mom was having and it was a pretty graphic image and I, I didn't want my sister to view that. So I kind of kept her from it. And in that moment, I knew that something was changing within me. I didn't know that the term was going to be parentification at the time, but I knew that I felt a different way very quickly that now I had to be much more of a protector or a parent than a big brother and it was tough on my father losing the love of his life Uh, they had met when they were 16 and were deeply in love right and so we began a succession of uh, replacement women to come in and i don't say it as in fault or anything it's just the reality of what we had at the time and everyone was trying to cope the only way that they knew how and my dad needed you know, my mother had been his pillar. So he was like, he needed something to lean on. All of that compounded over the course of five or six years really took its toll on my emotional and mental health, but I wasn't aware of it. It all sort of, it's like it happened behind closed doors within my own mind. And I was not privy to the meetings that were taking place on just how damaged I was because it really wasn't until the end of college when i began drinking so i really was a a late bloomer from my experience you know i've been to many treatment centers about 54 to be exact and right. my experience was that i came to it on average later than most people you know so it blindsided me i was i was so focused on creating a life of purpose in honor of my mother that I never dreamed that addiction would be something on the table for me. So when it hit in my early 20s, it was astounding and it progressed so quickly because all of those meetings that had been happening behind closed doors, suddenly the doors opened and I was not prepared in any sort of manner to deal with the wreckage that came out. So I turned to a bottle and thus began... 11 years of a really toxic relationship with
0: vodka. Right, right. And I I think your story talks a lot to that early childhood trauma that sometimes when that happens as a child, it's just about, I guess, emotional survival. We don't really realize it's trauma. I mean, we we probably as children know that it's bad, but we don't realize the long-term impact. And sometimes we don't connect the drinking or addiction process to that trauma until later, until we can sit back and put those pieces together.
1: Exactly. When you have like a bird's eye view and you can kind of look it over because what I thought is interesting is your brain is such a powerful tool without you knowing it. You know, I developed this, I call it a a grandiosity complex in my book and my memoir is what I refer to it as, but my mind developed that to protect me really without my influence or awareness. And it just astounds me when you step back and look at yourself, like you just said that, oh, well, that's what you did as a 13 year old boy. You created this because that was the only way that you could survive. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's kind of mind blowing what the brain can do whenever it's, it's elastic, you know, and it's just trying to figure out how to cope and keep going and it's not trying always to healthy. Out
0: how to how to survive, really. Yeah. I and mean, it <laughs> doesn't always make trauma, the healthiest decisions. Survive pain, survive all of that stuff. And yeah, it can be quite clever in the way it chooses to do that.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And sometimes out of our own awareness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Often Definitely. out of our own awareness, I should Often. say, probably.
1: In in my
0: experience, I
1: much much of the time it was beyond my awareness, yes.
0: So when did you start to think that maybe this drinking and your relationship to vodka was a problem?
1: You know, honestly, I knew very early on. I would say it started about 22 and it was full force. We were drinking, rolling 23. And even then, you know, I got into some legal trouble pretty early on and there was some concern from family members. I I crashed a car and fractured my neck. So even then I knew something is not right here. This is not quote unquote normal. You're spiraling in a direction that I'm unfamiliar with and did not anticipate So I think rather than cope with that at the time, I just leaned into the drinking because that was easier and I had more experience drinking at that point than I did coping. Right. So that's what I did. Yeah. So from a very early on, I, I knew it in my peripheral. I knew like my grandpa on my mother's side died pretty young of cirrhosis, pretty gruesome death. And my grandfather on my father's side had died a pretty tragic death from alcoholism. So I also knew that there was a genetic component in there. Back then, I, I just said it was in my genes. I didn't understand genetics. Or I meant like in the genes you wear, too. I didn't even know it was spelled with a G. Right, that's, a right. that's a different point. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. To get back to the point, um, I just didn't want to tether myself to that. I knew it was there, but I thought if you just don't engage with that, then maybe it'll go away. And you won't actually be an alcoholic. So even right. through many of my treatment centers, I think I had tricked myself into thinking I had accepted and acknowledged it when I, in fact, had not, you know,
0: right. I didn't tether not really myself felt to that. it, Not really known it on a deep emotional level, maybe kind of on an intellectual level, you could do that, but not in that deep sense.
1: Definitely. There was a huge disconnect. And I talk about this at the very end of my memoir a huge disconnect between my head and my heart. Cerebrally, I could have conversations with you about my alcoholism, acknowledge it, cope through it, but my heart would not allow for me to take it any further than that. I was very lazy after recovery. I never had any follow through because my heart, there was a huge disconnect.
0: Right. Right. And I think also what you were talking about, like earlier, not really wanting it to be a problem, thinking you can just kind of ignore it or go away or control it and living in that denial.
1: Yes. Yes. Always thinking that you can control it. That's another great example of how clever our minds can be and, and the rationale they can create when you have proven a thousand times that you cannot control it. But but that's what you're seeking is that control. And I guess in some form, it does become control because I at least had control. I believe I got addicted to the chaos, the damage control of you've gone on a 10-day bender, you're about to lose your job and your family's not speaking to right. you. I understood how to fix that. What I did not understand was how to fix internally what was happening.
0: And- Describe that. What was happening? And internally for you, what was going on?
1: I believe my biggest issue was unresolved trauma from my mother, but I also, losing my mother, but I also believe, so I had went to school to be an actor. I had gone to Drury University here in Missouri, and I was fortunate enough to be trained under a professor who had been on Broadway in the 70s and 80s. He'd been nominated for a Tony. He knew his stuff, you know, he was legitimate. And in my young mind, I thought, okay, well, you've been trained by this guy. So you're probably going to be really in demand. And your senior year, when you go off to your auditions, I bet you'll have lots of theaters hitting you up.
0: Right. And right.
1: That, it, that did work out. It did. I, I got really close to getting an internship at the Actors Theater of Louisville. And I missed it by one spot. And i this is another example of me not being able to see what was happening to me in the moment and how damaging that was and the repercussions that would come from that. I believe in that moment, without me really knowing it, I had resolved myself to, if you cannot get this internship, then that means you do not have the talent and you should not be pursuing this. And I think right. I gave up on myself. I think I felt very disappointed in myself and that I was just gonna end up a nobody country boy from the sticks. Like I had always feared.
0: Right. So it was almost like confirming that fear. And, and I think all of us as human beings, you know, face those dilemmas where we have those experiences and we have connected so much meaning to them that when they don't work how we think they're supposed to work, we can be really devastated.
1: Yes, yes. And it was all compounded. You know, it all came to a head at about 23, and I didn't want to deal with anything. So I right. got a job at a bank and I started drinking. And that was my life for many years. Just keep your job, make some good money, and I'm just going to drink. And that's just how it's going to be. Until physically, I could no longer do that. You know, you can only drink a gallon and a half of vodka every day or so for so long before even a young man's body begins to shut down.
0: Right. Yeah. So you realize, like, after a while, I can't depend on this substance to keep me out of my pain.
1: Yes, it was. It's one of it's that great. I was talking to that lady about this the other day about it worked until it didn't until it no longer worked and that's that's what it is you get to the point where you're pushing your body so hard physically that you're not even reaping in of the benefits of the blackout it's just probably hard does, for people to understand that's
0: <laughs> no i i think it makes a lot of sense the the the, the body says no more and mm-hmm. your pain is too great and there comes this point where you i guess you come to a decision you have to do something.
1: Yes. That took me a long time, though. That took me a really long time and a lot of treatment centers
0: to to get to that point. And what do you think that point was for you? Like, where was that? I mean, sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes people just have a, a flash of lightning, but sometimes it's a gradual transition. What was it for you?
1: I would definitely say mine would have been gradual up until... The point when I really decided to get sober and by the time I had really decided to get sober, I had so many tools in my kit, which would be the gradual part I was over these years and these treatment centers, I was constantly, I was receptive to advice, and, and what I should do to better myself, I just did not implement it. So I had gathered all of this gradually over the years, without using it. And then in June and early July of 2020 is really whenever I, I woke up one day and it was my higher power as well. You know, I woke up one day, I was ready to receive that love and that message from right. my higher power. And that carried me forward. How I got to that, I could not tell you. But when I woke up, I knew you have so much privilege by all this knowledge and all these therapists that you have been given. That if you would just spend a little time trying these practices, I bet you, you will stay sober. And I did. And it was amazing. Wow.
0: Wow. And it was that statement, just try these and now really put the effort into some of these tools and having that little switch really started to change your life. It sounds like.
1: Yes, I think, I mean, I'll be the first to say it. I think I need to be coddled. And I think I I coddle myself, you know, a lot. And I think that's what I did for years is just coddle myself with a vodka bottle. Oh, you poor thing. Yes, I know we should be getting sober, but nobody knows how hard it is for you or how rough it was. So yes, go ahead, drink, Charlie. And then yeah, that day it was like, well, there are other ways to coddle yourself, bro. You don't have right. to be drinking like this. <laughs> and it was like, "All right. Yeah. <laughs> there is other
0: maybe there's some other ways out there to practice self-care yeah. and, and yeah. nurture myself besides a vodka bottle." <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. and the, uh, yeah, it was that's it was a pretty it was kind of a funny moment and like a, I'm very dramatic. I I think it's just how I am and I was in the theater, so I was like you know, and I woke up and, and had that epiphany, and then I was just laughing at myself. That just like really, it took all of that, and
0: <laughs> right. So it right. was a
1: good moment. It solidified in my mind because I was kind of an emotional live wire. But I'm really thankful for that because that's that's really when my life started to change. And I will not sit here and say that those first few weeks were easy, though they were not. Even though I right. had made the decision and I understood what I was going to do and I was ready to do it, that did not make it easy so those yeah. those first five weeks really were difficult
0: so how did you push through those five weeks because i think a lot of people who are struggling with addiction that's what happens right you start to try and get sober and all of this pain starts to come back into the equation right and then it's like i don't know how to cope i go back to the addiction and that part of you that says okay i'm gonna push through this pain what happened or how did you do that
1: well i you know i had a conversation with myself in the mirror i do that a lot you'll see that in in my memoir i talk to myself a lot in a mirror and i believe that comes from my, my duality from being a gemini i just feel like i'm very much two people in one body so there was a day About a week and a half after my sober date, which is July 8th, 2020, it was about a week and a half later. And I was white knuckling it bad, man. Like I was standing at that mirror. I was afraid to make eye contact with myself in the mirror because I thought I was going to give myself permission to go get that bottle. And I just looked up at my, yeah, because I was, I could even manipulate and outfox myself at, you know, at this point. So I'm, I'm leery of myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah yeah it's it's frightening so i look up at the mirror though and and rather than me having an exchange about vodka it was more just like go do something right now are you going to you're going to listen to music is what you're going to do you're going to clean your house you're going to do all these things to distract yourself because right now you are so frenzied about this vodka bottle And then as I was doing those, those tasks, I realized all I had done was implement a tool that had been taught to me in rehab or spoken about in an AA meeting. You know, I just, I, I rode the urge or the craving out. I didn't succumb to it. I just, I got through it. And that was a groundbreaking moment for me because that's when it was like, well, no more, I'm going to call, you know, bullshit on you. No more. Do you get to say like, well, I just can't, I'm a relapser because you just did it, bud. So now right? now that you've wow. done it, you know you can do it. And and it, it was a great, impactful moment for me. I was very proud of myself. And I think only those of us who have struggled so deeply with addiction will understand that statement of like, no, that was a huge deal that I did not go get a bottle that afternoon. Like that's probably one of the biggest deals of my last 12 years, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that yeah. is such a, a it's such a paradigm shift that is so hard won and fought over and, and to be able to do it and then see that you've done it. It is, it's, it's, it's paradigm shifting.
1: Yes, it bolsters you because then you're like, okay, good job. Let's let's carry this on. And and that's really what I had to do for those first five weeks. I had many of those moments where it was like, I want to drink, man. I got to do it. But I would just get myself through it. And each time and it's what everyone says, it's just you don't believe it until you're doing it. You know, I didn't know that it was true when I was hearing it in the rooms. I thought that's not real. You're lying. I don't believe it. I've never felt that way. I think you just are telling us that. And whenever you're going through it, you go get a bottle just like I do. But I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. So,
0: right. Right. Yeah, it we really don't know what we don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so true. was just really uplifting. And, and that's, that's part of how I got through the five weeks and a lot of distraction, a lot of meditation, a lot of nature, just a lot of finding who I was. And it really wasn't until about a month or two after I'd been sober that I began writing and that is how I was able to stay sober through the right. rest of the pandemic and you know everything else had I not been it gave me such a purpose that I found something outside of how many days do I have or am I wanting to relapse I finally had a purpose that 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 sort of conversation became
0: peripheral right so let's transition let's talk about your memoir, at least yes. I'm not the frog, and at least
1: I'm not the frog.
0: I I love that title, so I want to hear more about that. I want to hear why that title, and <laughs> and and how your writing started to help you.
1: Definitely. So the, I'll start with the title. So it's a great phrase that. I had said to myself, at what I thought was my lowest point in about 2017-18, I had just been on about a two-week bender and driven about 85 miles to the town that I went to college in, trying to get to a hospital so that I could detox. But instead, I got in a fender bender and arrested. And I came to in this jail cell. And patches of what I had done, the wreck and everything came back to me. I know that I told the person that was driving and the cops, like, I'm drunk, I'm drunk, I'm drunk. I, I was compliant, but I also knew my pride at that point in my life wouldn't let me sit in a jail cell. So I faked a seizure, I get out, they have me in the ER, I say I'm going to kill myself because that was another thing I did a lot was try to get into a detox or a psych ward, Two detox, but I digress. So I had gotten out of the psych ward. I had went and got my car out of impound. I had driven back home and was sitting on my front porch with my aunt Trela. And I was just talking about how, you know, I'm probably going to have to do jail time now. This is my third DUI. Like my life is just, I don't have a job. My life is literally out of control. And she looks over at my car and underneath my tire, there's this snake and it's wrapped around this frog eating it. And I stare at it and I was just like, at least I'm not the frog. And in that moment, you know, it was a moment of like, yeah, it could be worse. You could be dead. You could be dying. Like you, you do have a serious condition and a serious problem, but you can also come through it. It's, you know, it's not terminal. You're not doomed if you do something about it. Now, I didn't. I stayed out for another three years. But in the course of me coming back to my home, a couple of years later, I ran off to California. We can get in that in a minute. But in the course of me coming home, I was at a very low point in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I was homeless for a moment. And I was trying to get to a homeless shelter. And I was walking down the street. And that memory of my aunt and I, and I was pretty messed up too. I'd eaten a lot of pills. I was drunk, smoked weed. But that memory of my aunt and I came to me and I said to myself, walking, at least I'm not the frog. And so when I came time to write, it just felt like what my life was. At least I'm not that frog. Yes. A lot of terrible things have happened to me, but I overcame them and I'm not the (laughs) frog, you know? So that's, that's where that came from.
0: (laughs) Well, I love that story because it's, something like that is it allows us to shift our perspective a little bit to a way of thinking that can help us move forward or give us some resilience you know to survive those painful moments of, of suffering that we're in and and if sometimes just changing our perspective can make all the difference and seeing something like that and being able to recognize it can be really powerful i I love that phrase. I love that title.
1: Thank you. Yes, I it's very it's very dear to me and and the the gentleman who did my cover art did such an amazing job and and had such an amazing idea between having the frog on, you know, the back of the cover as well because I'm kind of now free from it. It's just it's just turned into this really nice image and concept and and mantra for me to have that I've really enjoyed. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: No problem. So tell me a little bit about how writing has helped you in your recovery.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, when I was going to all these treatment centers and all these psychiatric wards and all these detoxes, one of the things I consistently did was journal. And I had some of these journals and looking back at them, oh, I was just in such a sad place, you know, so sorry for myself, how terrible it was. There's nothing that can be done, you know. But that was an outlet. I was getting that out in those centers, in those facilities. I was getting it out of me onto paper, and it was healing, and it was cathartic, and it was therapeutic. Flash forward several years when I'm. Now clear-minded, now not on detox meds or drunk, and I, I have a little thought in me. I realized in looking over the last 11 years, you have had an amazing amount of privilege that others have not to be able to sustain a job through your alcoholism, which allowed you to have insurance, which allowed you to travel to these wonderful rehabs and go to these detoxes. Now, not always. There were portions of my addiction when I was unemployed and I racked up a lot of medical debt going to these places as well. But I just saw that I was I was privy to some of the best therapists, some of the most progressive therapy across the country, because I literally went across the country going to places. Right, right. That it was working for me, you know, all these things I had been taught when I had started implementing them because I had to use everything, 12-step, holistic, smart recovery, everything. I thought, wow, you need to tell people about this because some people only get one rehab or a couple detoxes and they, they don't get access to this information that, right, that yeah. you have just within you that's been ingrained because you've been to so many, you've heard the lesson so many times, you know it. So I thought, why not share that? And I just started writing. And then it kind of came to me that what was my message going to be? What was my story going to be? And that's really what saved me because I was able, I was kind of like a madman. I had all these index cards around my room as a, a very detailed timeline of my life and some good, some bad. And having to work through that having to go back to 2010 and really walk my way through each month, you relive what you did and you're able to remember things that you didn't think you'd be able to remember because you were blackout. Right. And it was such a healing process to be at a place where I was now emotionally stable enough to look at my life without condemning myself or shaming myself and just say, yes, you did that because you were very hurt. But this is what you did. So, what do we do with it now? How do we repurpose it? How do we not waste these 11 years by being wasted? You know, that gave me something I didn't know I could have. It gave me a purpose, like I said earlier. It gave me motivation. It gave me joy. And so, each day writing and then learning about the publishing process, it took my mind away also from my addiction because I was focused on something. And then time started to accumulate. And then That makes you feel good as well. I'd only ever been able to get 104 days. So when I passed that and got into 200, you know, little things, little treasures along the way. And that's really how I think I stayed sober.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, you know, being able to put your story out there, being able to look at it, walk through it with support, practice self-compassion as you do it you know, is, is, is so much a part of that healing process, being able to move, to move past it, to grow from it, and then to make purpose out of it, right? To help others out of your own pain. Yes,
1: that's the hope to maybe spare someone a few facilities or a few years of just like, hey, this kid finally ended up doing it this way. Maybe I'll just try it a little earlier than he did. Yeah, That's the ultimate goal, you know, just yeah, take what I, I've learned, really implement it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, you know, so much, I, I think back in, in my own life and my own healing, so many people who have written books or written their story and me being able to read it and recognize myself in it has been incredibly impactful in me, not only understanding myself, but also being able to be more compassionate to myself. I love when people share their stories because someone out there is going to hear that and relate and it's going to make them feel not so alone and maybe give them the strength to reach out for help, know that they can do it. You know, if Charlie did it, maybe I can do it, you know?
1: Oh, you can believe me if I did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, look, so... I mean, I just think it's it's wonderful that you you put your story out there and and are just open to sharing it because it really pulls the stigma away from addiction and mental health and that you know all of us out there in some ways need support at some time. It's just it's awesome. Thank
1: you. Yes, it was that was very important to me too, and I've had some people ask like. Were you nervous to be as candid and tell the things that you did? And I said, of course, I'm nervous of to course. have people read this and look at the depravity of my behavior and some of the awful, terrible things I did. But I said, I'm writing it for my people that cannot quit relapsing so that they know that they're not wrong, that I did this to you. I was in it just like you man and but I did find a way out. So I wanted them to feel comfort and just what you said is so beautiful to not feel alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind and and doing this again after the after the after yeah. our first uh, attempt at it and we had all those technical issues. So I appreciate you coming back and, and trying again and just uh I guess you know, that resilience and perseverance to to come back on and do it. I appreciate it so much.
1: Oh, I appreciate you, Dwayne. Yeah, we had some technical difficulties, but this was really cool. This is amazing. I've never done anything really like this in my life at this point. So yeah, this has been great. If anyone wants to check out the book, you can just go to Amazon, type in At Least I'm Not the Frog, a zany memoir of alcoholism and recovery uh, by Charlie Gray and get your copy. And thank you, Dwayne.
0: Awesome. Okay, one one question I like to ask bef- bef- before you go, I like to ask every uh-huh. guest. It's, it's just if you could say one thing to someone out there who maybe is struggling, or a loved one is struggling, or they know a loved one that is struggling with with addiction, what what would you want to tell them?
1: I would like to tell them to not give up, to keep trying. That even when it feels like you're never going to find your identity or you're never going to find your sobriety, it is out there. Be gentle and kind with yourself when you fall. It's okay. You can get back up. And that even if I don't know you, I love you. I got your back. I'm praying for you.
0: Awesome, Charlie. Thank you. I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Thank you so much, Charlie, for coming on.
1: Thank you, Dwayne.
0: All right, everyone, thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at Addictedmind.com. And if you enjoy the Addicted Mind podcast, leave us a review. That really does help people find the podcast and get us a lot of exposure. So wherever you listen to the Addicted Mind, please leave us a review. And think about joining our Facebook group, Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind Podcast. Click join and we'll see you online. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode.
1: It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves.